Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you here. Thank you for braving the ice out there. Uh, my uh, truck was just a big block of ice. It took me about 15 minutes to get in there. So thanks for being here this morning. Um, we are continuing in on our God With Us series, and I am going to talk a little bit about a very, very common, traditional, familiar Christmas passage. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you would to turn there, that'd be great. And you, I am going to read uh, this passage, and you will see on the screen, there is a section that will be bold and in blue. When we get to that section, if you could read out loud with me. So I'll read uh, the, the passage, and then when we get to that section in blue, if you could just read out loud that section with me. So Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did it as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that in your plan, you sent your son to take on flesh in this mysterious and miraculous way. You named him Jesus because he will forgive his people of their sins. Thank you that you have forgiven us through Christ by belief and repentance. Father, this morning, would you give us a new perspective, a new angle, and a new heart toward what you have done for us in Emmanuel, God with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the time of year that many of us look forward uh, to spending some time with friends and family. And uh, generally, um, there are three types of families, or three types of individuals. Either you go to someone's house for the big Christmas celebration, or everyone comes to your house for that big one, or you alternate. So let me get, take a quick poll. Who goes to someone's house for the big celebration? Okay. All right. Who's like, no, that's at my house? Okay. A lot of grandmas, right? And who does the alternating thing? Okay. All right. Well, um, so 
uh, growing up, we never lived by family, so we would always drive to uh, my grandparents' house, my dad's side, in Augusta, Georgia. It's nice and warm there uh, during Christmas. And um, we would go there all throughout uh, my life, and I would always, once I was, you know, 10 or 11, 12, be given the room to sleep in that housed my grandmother's doll collection. A creepy. So like the walls are lined with these miniature porcelain faces staring at me as I try to sleep. And there was this one about three foot tall doll on a stand that my dad would always sneak into the room and put next to my bed (laughs) facing me. So I'd be sleeping and Christmas morn, I'd wake up and there's this porcelain face (laughs) greeting me. But you know, now as Deborah and I, we have a two-year-old and a three-month-old, things are beginning to change, right? The center of, of family gravity is starting to swing our way. So we have family that come visit us. So actually on last, uh, the Monday, most recent, we had Nana come visit. That's my wife's mother. I, lo- I have one of those rare cases where I have a wonderful mother-in-law. Love to have her come in. And she comes in and um, helps, with the, helps with Judah, helps with the kids, provides some added relief, I think, to us. So it's always wonderful to have Nana with us. But it's important for us to remember, and if you're having family come, it's important for you to remember that someone with you requires something from you, right? So like, say Nana came. She, they live in uh, D.C., Washington, D.C., so she'd drive the six hours, and imagine if she came to the house, and there's no one there to greet her, but the front door is just like cracked open, okay? Walks in, no one greets her as she enters the room. The house is a wreck, you know, I just like, oh, hey, Nana, what's up? I kind of wave to her from the couch. Imagine if there was no clean bedding on the, the bed she sleeps in, no towels, no food for her to eat, no beverages to drink and take, you know, a warm beverage to sit and relax, Right? That would be highly offensive to my mother-in-law if nothing about our lives changed because it would be a rejection of her. You see, when you have visitors in your home, there's no neutral response to someone with you, right? Either you change your life around, take off some time, clean up the house, get the bedding ready. Either you change your life and accept them in your home or you reject them, not by saying mean words, not by, you reject them by not changing your life. You know, to, we're, we're in the middle of our God with us series, where we're celebrating the coming of God in the flesh with us. He is coming to be with us. But if our lives don't change, if nothing about our lives, our money, our thoughts, our hearts change with the presence of God with us, then that's a rejection of God with us. Just like in order for someone to come and visit you, you have to change your life to accept them. That's the same with us. We have to change our lives to accept the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. Right? If LeBron James... I was like, hey, I'm going to come uh, visit you at your home in Parma. 
Okay, you're mowing the lawn, even though there's snow, you're, you know, everything's going to be perfect. You know, you're going to get the food, you're going to get really nice, you know, beverages, and everything's going to be perfectly clean. You would change your life. Why would that be any different with the coming of the King of Kings? Well, that's what I'd like to talk about a little bit today. I want to do three things. First, I want to look at a cla- this classic Christmas text through the eyes of Joseph to give us a unique perspective on this story. Second, I want to talk about what this text tells us about Emmanuel, what it tells us about God with us. And thirdly, I want to talk a little bit about how we respond in our own lives to Emmanuel, God with us. I will look with me at verse 18. Now, this is, again, a very familiar passage, but if you scratch the surface just a little bit, it is dripping with tension and emotion. We see that Joseph and Mary are betrothed. Now, there are no, there's no modern English corollary to this Hebrew concept of betrothal. A betrothal in, this, in the Hebrew context is a legally binding contract that can only be broken by divorce or by death. A man and his parents would choose a woman, usually 13 or 14, and married real young, um, they choose a woman, and their, their parents would enter into this contract together. And it was a big deal. And the betrothal period was one year long. But what happened, after that one-year betrothal period, this 13 or 14-year-old girl in this huge processional would be led to her new husband's house. They would go into the home, consummate the marriage, then, and then go out to a big wedding feast. Like, I don't suggest that for us in our culture, but that's the way they did it. The betrothal was a huge, huge deal. So here's Mary, who for six months has been with her, her uh, friend Elizabeth. And she comes back home, back to Joseph's town. She's six months pregnant. So Joseph knows Mary's pregnant, and that's not my baby. Have you ever been heartbroken? Have you ever just been crushed? Has someone ever done something to you that you would have never imagined they do? And it just destroys you. See, Joseph loved Mary. We have this false notion that in these kind of cultures that there was no love involved. Have you read Song of Solomon? Joseph loved Mary. Oh, he was counting down. I imagine him taking a piece of chalk and just counting down the days until they could be married. And he's so excited that she's returned to find out that she's pregnant. And jo- but Joseph loved Mary. See, in that day, a woman who was pregnant and not married, that was a capital offense. She could be killed for that. And there was two options for a betrothed man with a woman who got pregnant and it wasn't his. There's a public trial where she's shamed, she's publicly humiliated, and potentially stoned. Now, in that day, the Roman government didn't quite let the Jewish people uh, uh, use, uh, you know, abide by their laws. That's why Jesus had to go to Pontius Pilate to be killed. But it could have happened. The second option is a very private three-person divorce. Where you go in with a 
with a, um, one of the Pharisees, and it's just you three, and you, pub, you know, privately make a divorce, you break the betrothal. And Joseph said, and the scripture says that Joseph said, no, I'm not going to publicly shame her. I'm just going to divorce her quietly. Because he loved her. Because he loved Mary. And I can imagine that night, he's gone, he goes home. He lies down in his bed. Have you ever been on your bed where you're just undone? Your plans are ruined. What you thought you knew about a person goes out the window. And he's just weeping. And I imagine that Psalm 10 comes to mind, what he learned in synagogue that says, why, O Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And finally, Joseph was able to fall asleep. Scripture tells us that God visited Joseph in a dream. So God communicated his will to Joseph in this dramatic way. This is the first of three dreams with which God communicated to Joseph during Jesus' first two years. And Joseph knew at this point, if he was going to be obedient to God, he would take a major hit to his reputation. He knew that he would be the guy that everyone knew who had, whose wife had the baby that wasn't his. But he was obedient. And he is obedient. He took Mary. And he didn't know this at the time. But his obedience in that moment altered the course of his life and the course of history. You see, soon after Jesus was born, God would appear to to Joseph again. And they would have to flee Israel to go to Egypt and become a refugee in Egypt. For years. And then when they were able to come back, then they weren't even able to go to their hometown. They had to go to a different town because of persecution, because King Herod wanted the head of this little baby. And scripture says that Joseph named this baby Jesus, which is the Greek vocalization of the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua, which means Yahweh saves because Jesus, this little baby, would save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the prophecy found in Isaiah that a child would be born to a virgin and be called Emmanuel so that we all would know that God is with us. I think it's easy to uh, admire this miraculous story as a special way that, uh, you know, God did a special thing 2,000 years ago. I think who wouldn't admire the mystery and beauty and complexity of this story? But this story has as much weight on your life and on my life today as it did 2,000 years ago. If you think back to that uh, illustration I used in the beginning of the service, talking about if someone is to be with you, it requires something from you. Either you accept the person's presence by changing your life, or you reject them by your life just staying the same. You see, um, this difference is the difference between owning something and being in a relationship with someone. 
See, um, in October, I uh, purchased a snowblower uh, used on Craigslist. So I went and I gave, gave the lady the money, I picked up the snowblower, and I put it in my garage, and didn't think of it since until I needed it, right? This snowblower has not changed my life. It wasn't on my heart. It hasn't changed my heart. And it's, it's this thing in the garage that I don't think about it. It doesn't affect my life until I need it. That's the definition of owning something. Now, it might break, and you might have to pay some money, okay? But it doesn't change my life, and it doesn't require anything from me. Maybe some gas here and there. But if I treat my wife and my children like that, I will never have a relationship with them. If I don't think about them until I need them, if I don't come to them, respond to them, change my life until I need them, I will never have a relationship with them. That's the difference. A snowblower requires virtually nothing from me, but the deeper the relationship, the more it requires from me. Scripture tells us that Jesus is God with us. He is Lord. So do we treat him like a snowblower who only goes to it when we need it, or do we radically transform our lives, come under him as Lord, and say, God, take it, renovate my heart, make me who you designed me to be. We can never experience the joy that we sing about. You notice all these Christmas songs are about joy? Because of the great joy that God has come with us, come to be with us, to save us from our sins. But we will never experience that joy until we realize that God with us requires something from us. It requires your all. See, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people in this life, I think it's been true in my life, that we look at God, we look at Christmas, we say, yay, God's here, God with us, but it doesn't affect our life. It's like St. Patrick's Day, or if it's like Labor Day, oh, I get a day off, but it doesn't change who I am. You, it, it has to. If we understand God with us, it has to change us. You know, it changed Joseph's life. <laughs> he got that God was with us in Emmanuel, and it dramatically changed his life. It changed his reputation. He was the guy with the wife who had someone else's baby. It changed his responsibilities. Imagine trying to raise the son of God. Right, Jesus, use your inside voice, even though you spoke the world into existence, right? It changed his plans. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus had to flee to Egypt to become refugees. This future comfort and livelihood, like gone are the visions of a nice colonial in the outskirts of Jerusalem. That's gone. It changed his relationship with God. I'm talking about needing some God dependence. Uh, hey, Mary, so um, I had a dream. <laughs> we, let's still get married, but something's going on here, and I'm in. Right? It changed, that takes some God dependence. It changed his relationship with Mary. For Joseph, Emmanuel dramatically changed his life because Emmanuel, God with us, 
it gives us an even better, clear picture of who God is. Emmanuel tells us about who God is. It tells us that God wants to be with us. He made the long, costly journey of the son left the father's side to become born of woman, to live a life in a broken world, not because he needed us, because he wanted us. He saw the brokenness and he did something about it. Emmanuel tells us that he came to save us from our sins by dying on the cross as a payment. Emmanuel tells us that God is still present with us spiritually. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to the Father. But the end of the book of Matthew, it says that I will never leave you or forsake you. If you have given your life to Christ, if he has saved you from your sins, you have God with you, the Holy Spirit in your life to lead you into truth, to help you and guide you into decisions, to illuminate what's written in scripture and to change the areas in your life that you know you can't change yourself. He's with us now spiritually and Jesus promised, he promised and he's good for his word that he's coming again. One day he will come again. He will be with us physically and all the brokenness will be restored. That's what God with us tells us about who God is. Well, what does Emmanuel mean for you and for me? What does Emmanuel mean for you and for me? Well, I think it means some of the same things that it means for Joseph. I think our reputation has to change if we really get God with us, right? In, in your workplace and in your school, And in your community, you should be an enigma. You should be a team player, humble servant, overachieving, best employee, and someone also who's not a doormat. You should be this type of person that they know they go to you with gossip. You're not going to be part of that. But when they have a difficult day, they go to you because you're going to say something encouraging to them. You should be that strange person who's kind but not weak. You should be that odd employee that's devoted, but your boss knows that it's not the top priority in my life. (laughs) There's other things more important. Emmanuel changes our plans. Have you ever had a plan that you thought was going to be great, but God changed it and it was so much better? I've experienced that. And that's what he does. It changes the way we use our time and our money and our words. We become fountains of encouragement, like Pastor Chad talked about last week. And we reject the assumption that it's all for our own consumption. Isn't that what Christmas often is about? That all the money, it's it's an assumption that all your money and all your time is for your own consumption consumption. But that does not jive with Emmanuel. You know, it changes our sex life. How did you get that from that verse? It changes our sex life. You think about Joseph. He got, he married Mary, but they did not know each other. They did not consummate the marriage until after Jesus was born. That took a cost. That's a cost. It changes the way 
it changes our sex life. It becomes, uh, there's a narrow highway with which joy can take place. And we affirm that. One man, one woman, monogamous marriage. And being in a Christian marriage means you're only happy when they're happy. And they're only happy when you're happy. It's this feedback loop of joy. And that only comes by understanding that God left his place in heaven to become Emmanuel, God with us. And ultimately, it changes our allegiance. Your ultimate allegiance is not a country, a political party, a region, a school, a group of friends. No, it is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You know, and and I've been thinking about this, how Emmanuel changes who we are. I think especially this week, you know, a lot of us are going to do the um, family get-together thing. And there's probably a rare person in there who isn't going to go to one of those family get-togethers. And someone either needs to be forgiven, to ask for forgiveness, or both. Right? Because generally, the more you know a person, you can always drag something up from the past. (laughs) Well, you need to be forgiven of that. Well, you did that. But Emmanuel changes the way we forgive. See, Tim Keller says that forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. See, when someone hurts us, saying I'm sorry doesn't do away with the pain. Like, for example, say you're at work or in a family group or a friend group, and someone knows something about you and uses that to really embarrass you. We've probably all been there. And everyone laughs at you, and you just feel really bad. Well, if that person comes to you or texts you or whatever a few days later and says, hey, I'm sorry for that. Well, that's good, but that doesn't pay for all this embarrassment and hurt and shame. It kind of pays a little bit, maybe. But what do you do with all of this? That's where forgiveness comes in. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to make them pay for that debt. I'm going to take that debt onto myself. And it's painful. It's agonizing. Sometimes it feels like a little, like a death. But it's the type of death that leads to a resurrection. See, because that's exactly what Emmanuel did for us. You do realize that saying a prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, I repent for my sins, that doesn't like pay off your sin debt, Right? It's not like a three magic words and it's all gone. Jesus paid the sin debt by dying on the cross for you and for me. And we have his forgiveness applied to us when we repent and confess Jesus as Lord. But you know what? (laughs) There's a lot of stuff we have not asked Jesus to forgive us from. We forget even our own sins. But you know what? He's faithful and just, and just forgives, us, forgives us of our sins and cleanses us in righteousness. So we got to do that with our family members. There is family members in your life and in my life. They're just not going to ask for forgiveness. And they can never pay you back. See, you got two options there. If someone's harmed you, and even if they said, I'm sorry, and they still have this debt, well, then you look for ways to make them pay. 
Maybe you embarrass them next. Maybe you gossip about them, say mean things, or maybe you just harbor mean things in your heart about them. You withdraw your relationship from them. Well, that just leads to a feedback loop of revenge. The other option is forgiveness. You say in your own heart, God, help me to take this harm, this hurt, this pain, help me absorb it in my own heart, just like you did for me. And you know what happens when someone who's done a great wrong experiences a great forgiveness? New life comes. That's what happens in my life. Every time I'm angry about something about someone did for me, something this week I had to deal with in my own heart. And then I just think of the cross. (laughs) It melts away. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. That's what you've got to do. Look, there's no neutral response in your life to God with us. You can't just go along your normal day. Either you change your life and affirm and recognize God with you. One of the ways to do that is through forgiveness. Or you reject God by by allowing your life just to stay the same. I want to give you a, a few minutes I'm going to ask you two questions. I'd like you to think about these. First question is this. Who do I need to truly forgive? Who do I need to truly forgive? And let me give you about 10 seconds to think about a name. Who do I need to truly forgive? I hope you've got a name in your mind. Second, what steps does God want me to take today in order to forgive that person? What steps does God want me to take today in order to forgive that person? In a moment, we are going to celebrate communion where we remember the depths, the heights, the widths of God's great love for us. While we were yet sinners, while we had yet to ask for forgiveness, Christ died for you and died for me. And we're going to celebrate the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our lives for those who have accepted him. Maybe you are here and you have never received the forgiveness of God. Maybe you've been trying to like earn it. Today, you need to say, Jesus, I accept and receive your forgiveness. We're going to take communion and the ushers are going to pass out the communion and we're going to do it a little differently today. When the plate comes by, take a, some bread, take some juice And we're going to allow you to pray and just take the bread and take the juice individually whenever you're ready during these next two songs. Spend some time holding the bread, holding the juice, remembering what Christ did on the cross for you, how he's forgiven you for so much. So the ushers will pass out the uh, bread and the juice. So take a piece of bread, take a piece of juice, pray. And whenever you're ready during these next two songs, you just take it individually. Let me pray right now. Oh God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you took the long journey 
to come be with us through your son, Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of Jesus. Lord, may we forgive as you have forgiven us. Thank you that we can celebrate your death, not as a funeral march, but as a march to joy, because you are coming again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.